So Money Episode 483, Emmy, Supermodel and Advocate. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Guess what? Our guest today is Emmy, a well-known supermodel. You've definitely seen her. People Magazine has named her twice as one of the 50 most beautiful people, and Ladies Home Journal chose her as one of the most important women in America and one of the most fascinating women of the year. And she's not just fascinating because... She's a model. What I love most about Emmy is that she's an advocate for a positive body image and self-esteem. She wants men and women to know that beauty comes in all shapes and sizes. She's even created her own community, Emmy Nation. Check it out. It's not every day I get to sit down with a supermodel. So I had lots of questions for Emmy, including, you know, as a leading plus size model, what challenges did she face in the industry? And how far have we really come? How did she go about creating her brand while working as a model? Has it gotten easier these days with social media? And what financial lessons has she learned along the way as she's built out her business? Emmy also has her own blog, Ask Emmy, where she answers questions from readers on everything from fashion to modeling to body image. And she's got her own app so you can keep in touch with her and her community. Here's Emmy. Emmy, welcome to So Money. How are you doing? Thank you for Noosh. I love, love, love being here today. I'm so, I mean, I could always use great financial advice as well as sharing where we come from with finances. I, it's, it's the key point in every person's life. So this is a treat to have an expert like you Aww. to share some time with. Oh, thank you. Well, you've had such an exemplary career taking modeling, turning that into entrepreneurship. These days, coming out with a clothing line, a book, you are unstoppable. <laughs> Did you think that this was the life you would lead when you began modeling? Well, when I got into modeling, I had already had a career in TV reporting and communicating uh, on, on a, a broad basis. So I knew that that was not going to be my career because I would go home after a day at work reporting on the news and it, it would stick with me it'd stay with me and it would really wreck me, my sleep. So although I loved connecting with people, I knew that my future was in that I moved back to New York. And so, uh, you know, one way brought everything back, sold everything. It really, truly said, okay, let me start this again. And um, when I fell into modeling, I was 26 I walked into modeling at age 26. So I'd, I had, you know, lived, I had gone to school, um, had, have, you know, relationships underneath my belt. And, um, I was a little, I was much older than a lot of girls that had started modeling. So when I saw the, dis the disparity between a woman that was six foot and size zero and myself at size 12, 14 at six, uh, close to six foot, getting 75% less than what they were getting paid. I said, this is weird. And this might've been the biggest story I ever walked into. So when I was in the industry, I kept on looking at it as a business and realized that I loved communicating 
about what I was experiencing, not only just through my own experience, but through what other women were going through and telling me. And I found that wherever I traveled for a client, there would be a fashion show and there would always be Q&A. There would always be time for me to talk to the audience. And more times than not, Farnoosh, I was not alone in what I was feeling about myself as a woman, whether it was the diets, whether it was the the lack of clothing, cool, sexy, fun, age appropriate, blah, 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 all that. And I said, wow, there's a huge gaping hole here. Why? Being the reporter, why? And when I started asking more and more questions, I became more desirable within news media to talk on the behalf of the woman's um, the women's issue relating to body. And I became more and more a body image expert, and I aligned with the National Eating Disorders Association. So slowly but surely. I built myself and my team and I had agents that were incredible and and it was really a very, very good team around me into a brand. And that's when I came out with clothing and, and it just kind of evolved and got into TV shows. And so I didn't really envision that when I first walked into that first modeling agency and said, what the heck is full figured modeling back <laughs> in 1989? But when you saw the gaping hole and still today, I mean, there's a rush to the market to do all things curvy, but if you don't do it right or do the right fit or do it with the right heart, the customer, the client, her sees it, feels it energetically and you won't be making money. So there's nuances to this whole crazy life that I lead. (laughs) But, you know, just hearing your story, it sounds like you walked into modeling with the mind of a storyteller. You yes. Know? And that gave birth to a lot of this, this awakening of issues that you are now at the forefront of talking about, which is really exciting. Kind of so the lesson is keep your eyes and ears open. Yes. Keep your heart open. Keep your mind open and not prejudge what is what you see. Listen and see if it touches you. If it makes moves you in any way. I would never have thought when I was in high school that I would be a communicator to millions and millions of people around the world about these issues ever. I would never have thought that, but I let my heart lead me in this direction. And now tell us about some of the work that you have upcoming. So it's been a, I had a a really wonderful um, sportswear line with the Kelwood company back in the the 90s, 1996, 97, 98, we started developing. And then 2000, we launched it, or actually we we developed in 99 and and launched it in 2000 and partnered with, you know, Bloomingdale's and, um, uh, and Lord and Taylor. We love them. And, and uh, Nordstrom and Dillard's and all them. We did a great job. We were way ahead of the curve. And so the, the block, blossoming of the full-figured woman, uh, feeling that she could invest in her wardrobe, feeling that she um, was worthy of this, which was so beyond my own idea because I was an athlete. I was born a size 12. (laughs) My family is like enormously tall. You know, we all got athletic scholarships to college. We were very lucky, knock on wood. My parents were very, very happy. But, you know, I, I came this way and I just kept it 
fit, but I loved my curves and, and I tried all the diet things like all my other girlfriends. We all did all that crazy stuff. But at the end of the day, I wound up with what just I had. And I, and I said, well, you know, okay, I don't like feeling not strong. I'm going to stay strong. And so when I couldn't find clothes and here I was at the top of my career getting into the clothing, that's when I started doing all that. And, and it was a very good run. I was with QVC. Then my life happened and I took a break and was very glad that I took a break. I had a daughter and I was really there for her. Now that she is in private school, um, I had time. And I said, why don't I come back? And why don't I come back with clothing? So I'm coming out with activewear that's going to be launched, soft launching in uh, the 2017 in the spring excited beyond anything. E-commerce is coming up um, to be able to do that. We're going to be aligning with department stores again and sportswear bags and shoes. Do you like shoes? Of course. No, you know, it's like if I'm having like a bloaty day, like shoes will always make me happy. Like shoes never not fit you. Shoes will, you'll always fit into your shoes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And when you put those babies on, you just kind of just feel like, you know, queen diva. I don't know. I just kind of love shoes so much. <laughs> and here I, I'm already almost six feet, right? And then I wear three inch heels and I think, oh, those are so low now because in modeling you wear five inch heels or four inch heels, three inch heels. There's nothing like walking out and you have a great dress on and you have great perfume on your hair feels so nice because it you just blew it out and you have some makeup on and, and you walk out and and you're just feeling it i got it slamming going on and when you look at your shoes and it they feel good on your foot <laughs> oh there's nothing like that they feel just, good and look good yeah where can i get those shoes well i'm working on it we <laughs> we have a good team that uh, we're talking to right now that's really excited about some technology we'll be doing and uh that that has to that has to happen because when we hurt our feet and you know you don't you you don't look like you're anything be above a size twelve I think you're much lower than that but even you have feet that hurt at the end of a day when you wear awesome shoes right sure sure everyone everyone I don't care so what we're gonna we're we're working on some cool stuff with that but so. The, a book that I'm working on with the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, uh, it's going to be coming out in January uh, 2017 as a um, curvy and confident 101 stories of loving yourself and your body. And the, and the stories that we've been getting, it's going to be very, very hard to decide which ones to pick for the book. It's it and we've taken away the names so I don't get influenced if it's friends or people that I know and and we they get assigned a number. So thank God that for that because it's really it's it's been very interesting. Do you feel that the industry has made advances as far as accepting women that are plus size curvy, the modeling industry at least? Um, or do you feel like people like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of money to be made? So there's a lot of disingenuous people rushing to this industry to turn a profit. But just at the root of it, do you feel like we're we're more at peace with like seeing women of all sizes on magazine covers? And even when I look at Vogue, right, and they'll have a celebrity on there that's not a size two. It's funny. The picture is like usually her wearing a big coat and a close up. So all you see is like her face and her shoulders. There's no like full body shots for women that are full figured on these magazine covers. And I just wonder why. 
Farnoosh, you're asking me the question, but I want to ask you, too, a question. When you see diversity of body shape, does that give you a sigh of relief as a woman? Yes. Okay. That's the point that we talk a lot of times in meetings when I talk to um, TV production or I talk to advertisers. And, and a lot of times when you're talking to the people that make the decisions as to which imagery does get reflected in magazines and you talk in a business manner to them with the statistics of 100 million women or above a size 12, when, you know, you take a look at the, that, just that and the impact in our society that, that if you are not tapping into this demographic and, and speaking to them in a compassionate and a quite useful way, quite frankly, in what you're offering her, it's like shame on us. I mean, that is the, that is the, the biggest um, bone of contention that A, when you see advertisers like Liam Bryant, for example, I'm going to give a, a, or a client or, 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 or a business like Liam Bryant, a retailer, they have put millions of dollars in the right direction for empowerment. And yes, they get positive feedback. And yes, they get negative feedback. They're doing something with shaking up the psyche of the American people and also quite the, the, the advertisers to say, this is the woman that's out there. How can you ignore her? She needs clothes. She she deserves to be heard. Why are you shutting her out? You know, it's going to really, if you had all, full, this is the greatest impact. If you had all full-figured women who really support the shoe industry, the bag industry, the accessories industry, and a business standpoint, and you said to them, and this is, this, this has happened. And you say to them, stop shopping for a day in those venues for those products. It would cause a, an enormous alarm. And if you said, don't stop, don't shop for two days, don't stop for a week and let's see what change can really happen. So there's a case that happened with Target, three bloggers, one blogger in particular just said, Full-figured ladies, don't go to Target. That we are sick and tired of not getting the clothing that we we want. Guess what? They changed their mind. They brought the bloggers in. Those guys have a line over at Target. Mm-hmm. It, it's 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 time and the best vehicle for communication. Sometimes it's a little uh, rough around the edges and it's not organized. And sometimes I wish they could be a little bit more organized, but. It is what it is. The internet and social media and those vehicles of, of communication are really setting a new standard. And for those companies that are looking to get in and to do it right, the sky's the limit. And yes, Farnoosh, to answer your question, yes, we have come a very long way from the time that I walked into a, a modeling agency store and saw Susan Georget in 1989. The huge leaps. It was the only one in the 90s getting people met. I mean, there was a few other models that were getting some hits, but it was all about the things that I was doing. Today, there's at least five models. Thank God for Ashley Graham. She's rocking the Casbar. <laughs> but but there's five or six models that are really doing incredible work. Julie Henson. Um, uh, there's a whole list of girls that are out there working hard. Could there be more work? Could there be more money? You better believe it. It's not parody yet. 
from the girls who are straight sized to the girls who are full figured. In time, I see it happening where the paychecks will be pretty darn similar. The deals will be exclusive instead of non-exclusive. The, the top girls should have exclusive contracts. Beauty contracts should be without a question diverse in ethnicity as well as with shape. So it can really reflect who we are as a nation, as women. Love it. What's your favorite part about being an entrepreneur? That after so many times of failure, when you have a hit, it's a good hit. Mm-hmm. And you've had failure? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. It's, um, I, I'm a, I, I just spoke to Facebook Live the today. I have 10 minutes in the morning, Monday motivation and mindfulness. And um, I, I spoke to the fact that, you know, if you want to play it safe and stay in your house and not take a, a chance on something that, that you feel in your heart that's motivating you, get up and do something different. Um, you haven't really lived at the end of your life. You don't want to look back and say, boy, that was safe. You want to say, wow, I got a few nicks and bruises. <laughs> I got a, a couple of broken bones, woo, but I did survive. <laughs> um, I said, just if you, you know, I, I am, I am absolutely one to um, not do it with wild abandon without any kind of you know, good judgment. You do your very best. And even when you do your very best, you um, have, you know, there's a high rate of failure. It's, it's, you know, it, this country is built on people trying and those who keep on trying are the ones that really make the success, the success stories. Um, if you believe, I believe in women. I believe that, that this industry is not a trend. And I'm very honored to be involved in it, to encourage others to keep going in it. Um, and it's with togetherness that we can really make a long lasting impact. What would you say is your financial philosophy, Emmy, if you had one that encompasses the way that you think and feel and act with your money? (laughs) Well, um, uh, being an entrepreneur, you do a lot of things with the slimmest of slim budgets, uh, if not any. And when you can find a group of like-minded individuals and you can partner together with them, um, and when you actually do get a hit, it's really quite lovely to be able to share that profit and uh, to do that. It's my financial philosophy is um, sometimes, you know, questionable. I, I, when I make good money, I do put away. Um, I like to tithe when I'm, when possible and to be able to put that tithe right into savings and let that just, you know, uh, compound. Um, when you're lucky, I, 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 that has to be the first thing that, that you do, because at the end of the day, you have everyone else to pay that's helped you pave the way. Um, I, I like to travel. I like to do a lot of, I like going to spas. I like having a good life and I like being able to, to give my daughter. Or a, a wonderful life. And if I don't put savings away first for me, it's not being selfish. It's being prudent. Do you think that um, women, I mean, did you find, did you experience this yourself are hesitant to really ask for what they're worth? It's true. I mean, it's yes. documented. We don't yes. ask for races as often as men do it. But um, did you ever have a personal experience with that? I was, uh, yes. And I think that there is a great problem. I'm incur- I'm, I was just talking to a friend of mine who in the last 20 years did not 
ask for a raise because her boss was so, so thankful for the kind of work that she's done that any time that she would ask for off or if she needed to work at home, he always said yes. And he actually came to her and said, I feel embarrassed. I need to tell you, I'm wow. giving you a really good raise because all the other guys that do half the amount of work that you do have asked for raises and it's like just normal. But you, is it because you're a woman that you haven't asked? And she goes, listen, what you gave me was worth more than the money that you could actually give me. He goes, well, I'm going to just tell you, I'm not taking that anymore. Here's your raise. And it was like enormous. So she was able to put away money. She was like so flabbergasted that her boss. <laughs> wow. Came to- what a nice was- boss. He should win an award. He should actually do a blog posting so he can encourage all the other bosses that just, you know, like, oh, she hasn't asked for another raise. I'll give that other guy. So when we, you know, I I discussed earlier in, in our chat that there is a disparity within the modeling industry. But when I started shifting from modeling and going and my rate started getting higher and I was not able to do all the jobs that was in front of me, those jobs that I was able to do were paying me higher because of necessity. And it, 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 my value went up within the industry. And then when I crossed over into entertainment and was working with the William Morris Agency and their contacts within the entertainment world, that was a leap into a coterie and a kind of light that was cast that there was no other, there was no question. You know, Brian Dubin was an incredible agent for me and his relationships understood that he only worked with the best. So the light that you shine on yourself and the, and the way that you hold yourself in the industry um, and you don't do subpar work, you, you encourage people to, to get to, to raise their bar. You know, you could do that, but you might not be headlining that situation. But for me personally, um, and especially if you take a step away from the industry, you have to not hold your hat on what you had. You have to build up again and get back into in, on the horse. So there's an up and down to what your worth to others is, to what they're going to pay you. But as, as long as you remain consistent, you get it evens out over your career. Right. And you might get rejected. I mean, that's the thing. People are so afraid of the rejection. But what happens even after the rejection is relief because you're like, I did that and no one bit my head off. Yeah. I'm still here. Absolutely. I mean, you got to surround yourself with, you know, really good people that, you know, if, if you are getting rejected because you're asking for a raise, you have to, there's a reason for that negativity around that because it's going to have to shake you. You're going to continually get rejected until you start seeing your own self-worth. And when you see your self-worth that you can actually start while you have a job, start looking for another one. And when you get a really good job offer, you go back to the job that you have, figure it out if you want to stay there or not, let them have the opportunity to pay you more. Then you have a decision to make. Do you want to stay or do you want to go? You don't look for the job when you don't have a job. Look for a job when you're in something that isn't really doing the best job. You know, it's always about who you keep company with. So currently, you know, if I didn't have the great team around me, and it's many people now um, looking out for different opportunities and also seeing my value in, in seeing the rebuild of what I'm doing, 
um, I could not be doing what I'm doing. I could not continue. I would have to try something else, but it's because of the support and the, and being consistent in what I do that um, we keep on reaping the benefits. The company you keep company is so keep important. Is, isn't it? It it's is. everything. It is everything. And it's, it, when people say, oh, it's an overnight success, you know, about you and five other people that, that have been sitting there going, oh, no. <laughs> you know, your manager, your agents, your, your team, your, the people who you hang with, the, your family, they, they sit there and go, okay, that took about how many years? <laughs> but you gracefully say, oh, this is all good. This is all great. It's, it's really the company. And at the end of the day, life is short. Who you hang with, and this is like a lesson in middle school, right? You have children, you have one child or two. I have one. One. And how old is she? He, he just he, turned two. So he's very little. Oh. But also in some ways growing up way too fast. Oh, well, it's what you're giving to him by doing some of the shift that you did that I read in, in the book and in your blog um, that that is giving him the emotional nutrients to have greater speech communication and, and safety and feeling confident. And he's going to be, yes, he's probably going to be far, much farther along at age eight and nine than you were. This is what I'm looking at my daughter. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. you hope they, they surpass you in, in development with the, with what you give them. Right. Right. Well, I mean, every, all, I find you have a daughter and how old is she? She's 14, going to be 15. Okay. Uh, young girls terrify me um because they're so smart they're so ahead of things they i just feel like i could never um oh come on i could never (laughs) stop Uh, but it's so important to raise i think as as strong women it's so important for us to have daughters if we choose to be parents like what a gift what a great you know magical thing but it's i feel like it's a little harder for to raise like young women than young men. I don't know. That's just, maybe that's yeah, just. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, my perspective is, is with a girl and, and your perspective is with the boy. I think it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's really a challenge. Well, you know, I think the biggest challenge or the most, um, like the least obvious challenge is raising young men to really respect women in mm-hmm. a way where they see them as, leaders and thought leaders and, you know, strong women that they need to respect and idolize. You know, I think that there's this bro culture that is very easy to fall into. And even if you have like the nicest parents, if you go and join a fraternity or a camp or anything that's like a very isolated, I mean, I don't know, it's I'm going on a tangent here, but I do think that there is an, a, a, a situation with young men where they're not respecting young women. And that need, that culture needs to change. I think it starts from home. Oh, you are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from. The drag-and-drop editor. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do 
it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy, too busy, too busy worrying about your budget, too busy scheduling appointments, too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your website today. The result is stunning. And I don't, I can't put my finger on it, but you know, that's something that I'm becoming very conscious of. That's it from the house, from the home and from the self, all things roll. It, it is, it just, it just is. And you're doing a great job with bringing a young man that has these principles um, and gets rewarded from his parent structure for being a supportive and strong and leader himself and also feels there's room in his heart and room in his psyche to have female leaders right next to him. Yes. I think it's, yeah, I think that's brilliant. Well, thank you. It's important. I know. Well, um, Emmy, what would you say was your so money moment (laughs) throughout your career as you've been uh, accomplishing so much, what would you say was your proudest financial achievement? Um, it was when all bells, all whistles were, were firing and I had the book deal of my life, uh, with my first book. And I had an incredible, uh, agent that just, just really, gave me, I I really was blown away at my advance. Um, And, and he took the standpoint, he goes, you're the first, you are the first. And that I felt was really important to make a standpoint to, to really put your stake in the ground. And at the very, that was pretty much when I was leaping from the, the soul modeling and getting into entertainment and landed Revlon and the TV show. And then the clothing line, it was like a boom, boom, boom. And I was like, wow, this is an interesting vehicle money. It's also something that can run right through your fingers if you're not aware of what your goals are. Um, and it, uh, it, it, it can really work for you if you're aware of have how things, how money can work for you. And if you're blind to this and you always see entertainment people coming into millions and millions of dollars. And then the next year they have nothing because things all of a sudden you buy a thing and it depreciates in value and you try and sell it. It doesn't give you back what you have. So if you just learn about compounding your interest and compounding your your investment, that's really important. And, um, I, you know, it's, uh, that was a very big moment for me back in 1996. It kind of showed me, uh, financially what I was able to, uh, to garner and more. And it was good. It was good timing to have that early on. And, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to see, um, 
the site, it's a cycle. You go up, you go down. You can never, I mean, you tell me, I've not met anybody that's had one line across a graph and go from year after year after year um, at the same exact level. You will have a dip and you draw the line between the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs. And um, you have to have a strategy. If you don't have a strategy, that's when you lose everything. So you're only as good as your last fill in the blank book, blog post, clothing line. You know, I think that you always as the the challenge and the opportunity for entrepreneurs, especially people who are uh, creatives, they it's about what's your next creation. You know, what is the, your next output that's going mm-hmm. to get people to? I mean, people are busy. They they go. They, life moves on. Life goes on, and um, you you may have a really important message, but you have to continue to fuel that fire and mm. get people to care. Um, mm. So that's that's something that I that I not only try to practice, but teach as well is like, you have to always be thinking about next. And it's not to say that you can't appreciate everything that you have now. You don't want to live in the present, appreciate the moments, but it would behoove you to really start planning for their next big win. And <laughs> and it might be a big loss, but you will learn yeah. so much in the process of, of executing that. Learn. That's all you can. And right. Once again, I'm going to say who you hang with in business, who you hang with in in the relationships you have with the money, with money coming in and and the agreements that you have. Make those make those partnerships and and those alliances um, ones that that have real truth to them with the word, with the payment, with all that. So that there's a flow and not just on the illusion, just like when you're getting together with another person to form a life with, you know, you go through certain aspects of dating that you want to see, am I projecting an image or a, an illusion on this person? And that's not altogether fair. But if you get down to the nitty gritty and you go, gosh, this person aligns with me and my faith or concepts of life or, you know, values or how we want to have children, then that really makes sense. But a lot of people in business, I think, go into a contract or go into a relationship and not everything is really ironed out uh, communicated fully, um, and just like, oh, I thought you meant da da da, or I, th- and even a contract, the words are there, but you can take phrases and feel one way, and the other group will feel another way. So it's really important to find people that you're engaged with business that you can communicate freely. Um, and, and be able to, uh, be on the same page. If that's there, then you've got a good thing going. But if it's not, that's why things fail. And that's why you're there to learn and to pull yourself back up and then say, okay, I'm not going to do that again. And hopefully you can do that. And if you keep going, keep going, you know, not judging yourself on the failure. More people fail who are successful. I mean, is that what you find? Of course. You think that like Serena Williams goes out there and wins every ball she hits. No, she has to probably have like a hundred failed balls, <laughs> you know, every day when she's practicing. Uh, it's it's true in sports. It's true in, in all realms of life. I think you have to practice, you know, like they say, like if you're going in for surgery, you don't want like the best doctor. You want the best doctor. You want the, but that, but best by definition is the, the doctor that has done this surgery the most, yes. you know, and maybe sometimes it's not successful, but he has the most experience with it. You want the most experienced person, not the most successful person necessarily. Mm. If the most experienced person is the most successful person, 
great. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> even so true. better. I wanted to ask you a question, and I love that you wrote a book about this. I, I got, I have it on my Kindle, and I, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to read more. But it was so interesting for me to see. Um, is it how, how to handle women who make more um, when she makes more? Yes, when she makes more. Can you tell me what motivated you to write that book? Did you know? Just tell me yeah. that because it's really hard as a woman when the the be- the, the the curve comes back to you and you are making more. How do you handle the ego of the male or the person? You know. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's, you know, there's it's a not ridiculous. It's, it's not ridiculous. It's why partly I wanted to write the book because I thought that it was, I was perplexed. You know, on the one hand, my parents raised me to be this really independent woman. My father, in fact, was the one who was like, you need to negotiate for a raise. And they always said, put your career first. And I did. I, I felt like I was playing by all the right rules. And then I became, guess what? Successful. And I was making money and I had a home and I had, you know, I was um, independently successful. And then I got into a relationship, uh, a great relationship for love. I mean, that's like the ultimate, right? That you don't have right. to worry about economics. You can actually marry somebody for love because as a woman, you're just feeling like, I got this. Mm-hmm. And then I got it and I got in the relationship and I felt that we were very different from the norm. And um, even though between my husband and I, it was very innocuous. Like, who cares who makes more? He's very confident in his, um, in his masculinity and I'm confident in my femininity. Like, we're good, but it was society and it was also family. You know, my mom and dad, mostly my mom, because she's, she's a little bit more traditional in her thinking, like, uh, did never expected for me to be the breadwinner. I almost felt that that was a handicap. They tricked you. They tricked the group. They tricked me. Yeah. They're like, wait, wait, wait. You can be successful, but just not the most successful person in your relationship financially. It's like, wait, you can't. No. Why? Yeah. So I felt very unprepared when I arrived in my marriage as someone who was the breadwinner. One, because I felt that I, I, I was maybe doing something wrong or, or it was a taboo. And then also, yeah. I'll admit, you know, at times I felt stress. I felt like this is, um, this isn't what I, what I really thought that marriage was going to be like. And in my husband's case, you know, he, because again, we were very honest with each other. We're very open about our emotions. He was like, you know, sometimes I feel awkward mentioning things that I'd like to do and places I'd like to go and vacations because I know that the, that you're paying a lot of the bills. And so he felt that he was losing his voice in the wow. marriage. Yep. So I thought if I'm struggling with this and I feel very confident when it comes to money, clearly I talk about it. I write about it. It's my, it's my jam thing. It's It's your thing. It's my thing. And if if I have insecurities, where does that leave everybody else? And I started to look outside my own ecosystem of Mm -hmm. my mom and myself and my family. And I thought, and I started looking at the research and talking to other women. Crazy, right? And oh my gosh, I Uh, was like, I I have landed on this island of when she makes more, these women. And, you know, they have all these issues and concerns. And some were doing, you know, but the goal of the book was not to say, oh, we're doomed. It's actually to say, this is. Uh, an advantage in your relationship. Here's how to master it. Here's how to thrive in your marriage. I can't wait to read your book. I swear to you, I'm telling yeah. you. So just tell them, like, it did. 
are you able to now with your hubby have a different kind of communication of his wants and desires and in it and, and it doesn't rub you wrong or it doesn't make him feel strange like how does that work between you guys well we made a very conscious decision to make sure that within our financial life that he was responsible for some things. I was responsible for other things. And I think after you're with someone for a while, there's, there's a trust that gets built up. Mm-hmm. And I think um, we were newly married and maybe he thought that he was going to disappoint me or seem like he was taking advantage of the situation by suggesting things that were expensive or, or, or splurgy. Um, mm-hmm. But we know each other now enough and we have our priorities. You know, I think that's where, Every marriage, listen, couples come to a marriage with different backgrounds, financial backgrounds, different philosophies. One's a spender, one's a saver. That's really not the issue. The issue is, do you have common goals? Do you agree on, like we talked earlier about values, like what are your financial values? What are your hierarchy of needs? And if you can agree on that, then I think a lot of other things can fall into place. Also, it helps to have your own bank account. I think that a lot of arguments- come up because everything's in one bank account and that right. it just gets I, hairy. I, I tell, I tell new newlies, newlyweds, I go I, beforehand, if I'm I have privileged to, to know them prior, I go get your own bank account and you figure out that, that I liked, I always bring up tithing, not to, to tie it to any religious thing, but it's just a concept of, Put that into a savings that you guys have. That's something you both can look at. Whatever it is, whatever income you get, put something away, both of you, and then have your own bank accounts. Figure out like what each other needs, but have them so that, you know, you're not always going, hey, dad, can I please have 20 bucks? And can I have a thousand dollars for this? Or, you know, uh uh-uh. You you got to, if you're independent woman, you're working and you're an independent guy and you're working, there should be trust as you're speaking about that you would take care of what you need to take care of without sinking the ship. Mm. How about the power between women and men? If a woman makes more, isn't there that energetic thing? Do you talk about that in the book? Oh yeah. I mean, the thing is, I think we sometimes forget where we are in life. We're in a relationship and Money equaling power is true in the, in the realm of business. And, and, um, I think we take that home too often. We take that energy and that mindset to our relationships and that's where things go wrong. And mm. I think that we need to learn how to turn that off and turn a new switch on when we're in a relationship that your husband or your, your spouse is not your intern. He's, <laughs> he's not your business partner. Um, yeah. you know, so often I hear women say, well, if he doesn't do this or if he can't cut it, if he, if he can't appreciate me, the fact that, I, well, then he can just go to the curb. And I'm like, oh. it's not that simple. You know, I mean, you are in a relationship, so I would hope that you would at least hear each other out and want to get don't vulnerable. Don't value money that way. Don't value it that you can just disregard, right. pe- discard, discard people because you can take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's so much, and the book talks a lot about uh, sort of the like going back to caveman era. And I mean, biologically, we are hardwired to see money as this source of power and that, you know, and even if you, I mean, we haven't advanced that much since caveman era. <laughs> like the fact is like Pew Research did a study 
not too long ago and found that two thirds of Americans still think that it is a man's responsibility to be the main provider in a family. And few Americans have that expectation of women. So still mm. we have these stereotypical um, ideas and ideals about marriage and gender expectations around money in marriage. And I think once we can uh, rise above that, uh, things will get better. And I, I am more hopeful about this new generation. I think they're being raised in same sex, you know, households, mom makes more, dad doesn't work. And they're able to see this, the, the spectrum of what's possible. And they don't, hopefully they won't enter their relationships with this very constricted framework. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's a different day. It really is. I think it's a, it's a different, it's an older philosophy um, to think the man should be and responsible for all. You know, I think um, also what we grew up with, with the princess and the, and the, and the prince and the fairy tale uh, relationship. Hold on, excuse me. Um, the whole, uh, I guess it's not brainwashing, but it's, it's what we were exposed to as little children, mm -hmm. um, in our entertainment that, you know, someone's going to come and sweep us away and, um, and take care of us. Um, I, I gotta tell you that, uh, that's just not the reality. It, ne it really has never been, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, I think we as young girls in my generation and maybe one generation before me and obviously before, prior to my, my being around, women were definitely reliant on men to provide all. So it's a, it's an interesting day. It is. Yeah. And, and it's only going to become more of a conversation. I, you wouldn't believe, Emmy, the, 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 the disparity in in the in the reactions I would get from like just the editors that I was shopping this book around to, I'd get editors who were like, "Oh my god, thank you, yes, this book finally has arrived," and then there would be some other female editors that would say, "I think you're kind of naive to think that in 2015 or whatever it was, I was 2014 at the time, this day and age that women." And men can't get along just because of the fact that she makes more. And I was like, I'd love to get to where you are. And so with so many millions of other relationships, but we're not there yet. I'm sorry to say, and don't kill the messenger. You know, I'm, I experienced it in my own relationship, but the studies also prove that you're wrong. Um, that we still have a lot of work to do. Now that said, there are a lot of couples that are doing well and we take lessons from them in the book, but it's, um, it's not the norm. Yeah, there's more and more women definitely that that have come onto my radar and have over, you know, when you have a, a group of girls getting together and we're having cocktails and a couple come in from another set of friends and you start hearing about the the the, the un imbalance of power between two people when the woman does pull in and they're struggling. There's a lot of women that are struggling. I'm looking forward to reading your book. I, oh, I thank you. It's on its way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Emmy, thank you so much and wishing you all the best with so many new projects uh, in the cooker. Yeah. Thank you so much for the life of an entrepreneur. Thanks so much to Emmy for joining. Her website is emmynation.com and she's on Twitter at supermodelemmy, one word, and Emmy is E-M-M-E. -M -M -E. 
All this information back at somoneypodcast.com. If you have a question for me, really easy, click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question for an upcoming Friday episode. Hope to see you back here on Wednesday where we have Kat Cole, Group President of Focus Brands, President of Cinnabon. Kat has a very interesting history of rising to the corporate ranks. She actually was once an employee at Hooters. Stay tuned for that interview on Wednesday. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money. 